Well, our text this morning, as we are, um, as we've been considering some of the women of the line of Christ, our text this morning is Joshua chapter two. We're going to focus on the first fourteen verses, but we'll read the whole chapter so that we can uh, can see it in context. This is shortly after Moses has died, and God has turned over leadership of his people to Joshua, who was really Moses' right-hand man, and God has encouraged him to stand firm, trusting in God, looking to him for his strength, for his wisdom, for his success. And then we read in chapter 2, Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and had hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. 
Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in her window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters, beloved of God, the account that we've just read is wonderfully unexpected. Not to us, of course. We know that Joshua chapter 2 tells Rahab's story, and we've come to expect that. But within the context of God's Word as a whole, this is not really the story we should expect at this point. You read through the first five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And in these we learn that Israel is to be distinct from all the nations around it. That God has set them apart as holy, as uniquely belonging to Him. And then we come, and then we come to Joshua. And immediately we find that Joshua is to be the successor to Moses. He is to lead the people across the Jordan River, entering the land God has promised, but not merely to take up what God has promised to Israel, also to punish those who have rejected God, those who have embraced all sorts of depravity. They will be not only the recipients of God's promises, but also the instrument of God's wrath. And so we expect to see that. We expect to see warfare, we expect to see judgment, we expect to see triumph. And we will, in sweeping descriptions of how the people run through the land. God's blessing going before them, His power exercised by their hand. But first, but first, we read about Rahab. An Amorite prostitute who rescues two Israelite spies. It's jarring how unexpected that story is within the overall flow of the history that is set before us here. And yet it is exactly what we need to understand the nature of the God with whom this whole story has to do. Rahab is not the major player that we expect. In fact, she is the antithesis of the person that we expect to take center stage. You look at the hero stories and the conquest stories of all the other nations... You find these amazing men who are stunning in their power, in their bravery, in their manliness, in their exploits. We even see that later on when we uh, read descriptions of David's mighty men. How they accomplish these amazing feats of warfare and bravery. But that's not what we see here. We see a person who is not only scorned by God's people, but is scorned by her own people, if we're honest. And yet God uses her to rescue 
two of his servants and to provide the encouragement that his people need, all the while revealing exactly the kind of God whom we serve, which is to say a God who isn't a respecter of men, a God who doesn't depend on men, but a God who takes those whom the world has discarded, whom the world despises, and raises them up as his beloved children. That's what we see in Rahab. And that's why this story is so absolutely essential for us. Our God incorporates the unexpected, unworthy Rahab as a faith-filled mother of Christ. That's what we see here. Our God incorporates the unexpected, unworthy Rahab as a mother of Christ. And we find her, first of all, as a mother who renounces her shameful history. But understand that in context. Joshua has been commissioned to lead the people of God, but God has not yet described how he is going to begin taking the land. He just knows that Jericho is the first city on that conquest. And so he does what is wise. He sends some spies to scope out the land, getting a glimpse of what's ahead. Note the terrain. Note any small settlements you might see. Be able to describe the city to me. But it's not just a regular recon mission. Remember that when they first approached the land, 12 spies were sent out. And they brought back a beautiful description of the land, but also discouraging words concerning the inhabitants of the land. Ten of them caused the people's hearts to melt so that they were defeated before they even began. Only two came back with an encouraging report. So Joshua only sends two. And part of their mission is not just to provide the the recon information they'll need to take the land, but to provide the encouragement that the hearts of the people crave. So he sends these two men into the land, and they, having snuck into Jericho, they come to the house of Rahab, a prostitute. Now for the children, a prostitute is an immoral person. They make their living doing things that are shameful, that God has commanded not to be done, And in fact, they lead other people into that immorality. That's what we need to know about Rahab. She was a woman who made her living in sin. Now some people try to defend Rahab by saying, well, if God used her, clearly she must have been a former prostitute, repentant. Or maybe this is just another way of saying innkeeper, but that's that's not what we see here. God's word doesn't soften it at all. In fact, the word that's used here is clearly used for exactly what we think she is. And that makes sense, actually. It was a brilliant move for these men to stay there because, remember, they're spies entering a city that was expecting an invasion. Their clothes, their language, their overall look says they're foreigners. Where are they going to go in this city where they are most likely to not be asked questions while receiving shelter. A place where they can learn about the city. So staying at Rahab's place is smart. But it's more than just smart. In God's providence, these two spies managed to find the one house of ill repute where the madam has come to trust in God. Now, no doubt that's not what these men expected to find. 
This was a city ripe for judgment, filled with depravity and evil, and they're headed right into the, the wrong side of the tracks. They're not expecting to find someone who has a high view of their God. And yet, here is a woman with faith. Now, we know that she is a woman with faith because we have God's Word. James 2 tells us that Rahab was one of God's people who was justified by faith. Hebrews 11.31 likewise says that Rahab had saving faith. But they didn't have James and Hebrews. They had Rahab herself and the words that she spoke and the behavior that she demonstrated and what they saw in this woman was a woman who had come to know from afar the God of Israel, the true God, and who in response to this God had renounced her whole shameful history. She does that in the confrontation described right up front in verses 2 through 5. Somehow or another, the king of Jericho learns. An informant has told him that Two strangers have come into Rahab's house. Now understand, Jericho wasn't a sprawling metropolis. It wasn't a very big city, all things considered. So they knew people. And they knew they didn't know these people. So the king sends his messengers to Rahab, says, Hey, two men came to you. Send them out. We need to talk. Now understand that Rahab's duty at this point is very clear. She is a citizen of Jericho. And under normal circumstances, the citizens of a place are obligated to obey the leader who is over them. The Bible tells us that. We are to obey our leaders, not just our church leaders, but our civil leaders. Unless. Unless their command is sinful is rebellious against God, then, like Peter and John, we have to obey God rather than men. And Rahab knew. She had come to recognize that her king and her people were evil. She was part of a nation that hated both God and the people of God. She was part of a nation that was utterly unrighteous. By obeying the king, she would further their unrighteousness and deepen their depravity. And so Rahab did what was truly right. She renounced her nation. And she did that by misdirecting the king's messengers. The king demanded through his messengers that she bring out these strangers that had come to her. But instead she lied. She deceived. She tells them, verse 4, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Now that was false. We know that from what she tells the men and how she acted toward the men. But Rahab claims, I didn't know where they were from and I didn't ask any questions. But, she says, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. She wants them to think that the men just stayed briefly. She didn't ask any questions. When the gate was about to be closed, they went out. She didn't bother to watch where they went, but then she tries to encourage them comes on their side. You know what? If you hurry, I bet you'll catch them. Hurry. Go get them. I'm on your side. I'm rooting for you. And they believe her. Remember, she's a prostitute. They find nothing strange in the fact that the men came for just a short time and that she didn't ask any questions. So off they go, chasing the spies who actually are hidden yet in Rahab's house. Now, 
this will have several results. First of all, Rahab, for at least a moment, will be removed from scrutiny. She has a little breathing space. But secondly, by misdirecting the Jericho PD, she has managed to make an escape route for the spies. Now, folks, understand, what Rahab did here was exceptionally dangerous. Jericho was an Amorite city. And the Amorites were known for their cruelty. Part of their religious worship involved sacrificing their own children. They were without pity when it came to inflicting pain. Had the king's men disbelieved Rahab, searched her house, and found those spies, not just she, but very likely her entire family would have been taken to the king where they would have been tortured and killed before her, before she herself was killed and put on display as an object lesson to the city. That's the kind of behavior that was typical among these people. She's taking an immense risk for these spies that she had just met. So why do that? The answer is found both in her words and in her deeds. It's because of her growing faith in God. She's come to realize that the gods that she and her people have served are false. They're lies. The ways of her people are wicked. And so she renounces that, a complete reversal. Now that's a lesson for us. Understand, it is not wrong to be patriotic in most circumstances. It is good to support your nation, to back your people. But as God's people, we need to recognize that our citizenship, our ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And if following, supporting, strengthening our nation would undermine God and His kingdom, then we must stand with the kingdom of God, not with our people. That's a a side lesson in all of this. The bigger lesson is that we must always choose God. That's what Rahab saw right up front. And understand, this is an indictment against us. What she knew in terms of the truth compared with what we know She knew just a little tiny bit. Our our children that are just starting catechism know far more doctrine and history of God than she did. And yet she knew enough to know that this is the true God and that I need to serve Him. We are going to. We live in a world where Satan is active, where he longs to undermine and, and shame the people of God. Every one of us will face opportunities increasingly to undermine our witness, to pour shame down on our heads, to become accomplices with an ungodly world. And Rahab stands as an example for us. If you truly believe in the God of the Bible, if you truly believe that He is He is the God, the only true God. You have to stand with Him. Sometimes the cost, the potential cost, will be extremely high. You'll lose friends. You might lose jobs. They will slander your name. But our God is infinitely bigger, infinitely better than anything they can offer you. Rahab saw that. As little as she knew, she had come to recognize that Serving God is its own reward and is infinitely better than anything else. And and that comes along with the second lesson. Rahab was 
a prostitute from a wicked people. But she didn't let that stop her. She didn't say, he could never love me. Why should I even try? Why should I even bother? That's a temptation. We look at the wickedness of the sins that we've committed and we think, how could God ever like, ever love the likes of me? Why should I even bother? Why should I even try? Rahab didn't do that. She turned her back on all of it for the sake of knowing God. That's our calling. For the sake of eating the bread of life. For the sake of being washed with the blood of the Christ whom she didn't even know yet. She was willing to turn her back on her people, on her history, on her identity. So that she could serve Him. That's our calling. And she does more than renounce her history. She also embraces wholeheartedly a new people by rescuing God's spying servants. That's our second point. Now the rescue that she effects has several aspects. First, right off the bat, she hides the spies. Now you have to understand kind of where she lives. Jericho, from what we know of it, was a city that was well-constructed in some ways. It had a a six-foot-thick wall surrounding it. And then there was, and that was about 30 feet tall. And then there was about a 15-foot space and then a 12-foot-thick wall, also about 30 feet high. And in between these two walls, there was a space which was filled with buildings. Pretty easy to make those into buildings. And that's where Rahab lived. That means that she probably had a very narrow but tall house likely three stories tall. When these spies came, she discerned who they were. She immediately took them up to the roof where she had stalks of flax drying. Now, flax is a plant that once dried can be processed and turned into cloth. So she had these drying on her roof. She hides the spies under them, giving them opportunity to rest while also hiding them from the prying eyes of neighbors. Later, after our text, She furthers their rescue. The gate is shut. The city is abuzz. So there's no way they can go out on the streets. People are looking for them. That's probably all they're talking about. Not only that, but now the gate has been shut, turning Jericho effectively into their prison. So Rahab comes up with a new plan. She's going to let them escape. She's built her house into the wall. She can let them out a window and let them down with a rope after the sun has gone down. Beautiful. However, that won't help the spies unless they get the information for which they came. I mean, they've seen the city. They've seen the landscape, but they still need to know the mood of the people. They still need that encouragement that Israel craves. And so she gives them that. She tells them, verse 9, The fear of you has fallen upon us. The inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Why? Because they heard all that God did. They heard about how God split the sea and destroyed the mighty nation of the the Egyptians. They heard how God has been leading this, this people of His through the wilderness for 40 years and they heard about Sihon and Og. They heard how those kings of the Amorites, their relatives on the other side of the Jordan, how they have been destroyed by the power of God and they fear 
As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now understand, this is huge. She has just undermined her people. She has committed treason, the likes of which in the king's eyes would have deserved not just her death, but terrible punishment. But this was an amazing blessing to God's people. Forty years before, those spies had caused their hearts to melt, had led them to believe that that they were as nothing before the people of Canaan. But now, now they've heard that the people of Canaan themselves are trembling at the thought of the people of God coming into their land. And in giving them that gift, Rahab demonstrates something. She demonstrates that she's no longer an Amorite. She is an Israelite because she has turned her back on her sin, on her shameful history, but she has embraced God as her God, Israel as her people. And folks, that is the calling we all possess. We all have an earthly history, right? Many of you. You meet somebody new, you find out they have a last name. It sounds sort of Dutch. You can immediately play Dutch bingo. Within five minutes, you find out you're related. Cool. But that's not who you really are, is it? Or you have American flag stickers on your, on your truck, or maybe a flag on your truck, and you pay attention to the politics. You know well the history, and that's important. God has used that, but that's not who you really are. Or you have a job, you have a career that really motivates you, that makes you jump out of bed in the morning, but that is not who you are. Who you are is a son or a daughter of God. Who you are is a brother or a sister of Christ. Who you are is part of the kingdom of Christ, part of the church of Christ, part of the bride that has married Christ the Savior. That's who you are. That needs to be the heart of your identity. And if anyone or anything threatens that, you side with Christ. You're no longer that shameful past either. All those sins that you've committed, all that rebellion, all that shame that is heaped upon your head, all of that stuff that makes you want to hide. No, that's not who you are. Because that all died with Christ on the cross. And who you are now is one who bears the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. Rahab saw that. She knew that. And so she showed not the cunning of an Amorite, not the self-centeredness of a prostitute, but the mercy of God whom she trusted. That's our calling. And having shown the mercy of Rahab, we, like Rahab, must rely on God's sovereign grace. That's our last point, but it's also the most important. It is amazing to me how much Rahab trusted in God. But here's the thing. Rahab's faith isn't what saved her. Her faith-driven deeds isn't what saved her. James 2 says that Rahab was saved by her deeds 
in rescuing these spies. But what it means by that is that those deeds demonstrated the truth of the faith. But hear this well, it is not faith that saves us. Faith is the conduit to the one who saves us. Faith is the hand that takes hold of the one who saves us. But the one who saves us is the sovereign God himself who was embodied in Christ. Whose body was broken, whose blood was poured out to deliver us unto life eternal. You know, Rahab really didn't know much about God by comparison. She didn't know. I have no doubt she didn't know about the promises he made to Abraham or about the various precise interactions that he had with Isaac and with Jacob. It's almost certain that she knew very little, if anything at all, about the coming Savior. But she knew this. She knew God is sovereign even over the waters of the sea and the greatest armies of the earth. She knew that God is powerful, such that kings like Sihon and Og were no match for him. She knew that God is true, utterly unlike the gods of Canaan. And she knew that God's reach is absolute, encompassing all the heavens and all the earth. She knew that God is sovereign, powerful, true, and absolute. And with that, she knew that God would bring His justice to bear upon a wicked people that had denied Him, and that the only hope she had was in Him. Not in her, not in the spies, but in Him. And that was enough. Because that was the truth. She trusted in Him. And she was saved, not just from the destruction that was poured out on Jericho, but from all that that destruction symbolized. Kids, you understand, when Jericho was destroyed, it was utterly annihilated. Everything was burned. They didn't, with the exception of Achan in his wicked sin, they brought nothing out of the city. They burned all the clothes, all the possessions, all the food, all the animals, all the people. They all died, burned Reduced to ash. Why? Because it was a demonstration of God's just wrath against sin and rebellion. That is what all of mankind deserves. And that is what Rahab longed to escape. It's what we long to escape. And the only way we can escape it, because that's what's coming on the whole of the unbelieving world, the only way we can escape it is the way Rahab escaped it. And that's through faith in the one who is merciful, the one who is sovereign, the one who is good, through faith in Christ, who suffered and died for those who were unworthy, just like Rahab, just like me, just like every one of us, and who rose up again to give us life even though we could never have earned it, even though we could never have deserved it. Rahab trusted in him and she was saved. She was saved physically, but she was saved also in all that that physical deliverance demonstrated. Hers was Mary's song, who sang in Luke 1, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The rich, the powerful, the movers and shakers of Jericho, they endured God's judgment and they were done. 
But Rahab, a prostitute, Rahab, the unworthy, Rahab, the one scorned even by her people, Rahab, she wasn't just delivered. She wasn't just spared. She was incorporated into the holy, set-apart, beloved people of God and even given the privilege of being one of the grandmothers of Christ. Amazing. All because she trusted in Him. And He does the exact same for us if we will trust in Him, if we will rely on the sovereign grace of our God. Children, understand, you have far more reason to trust Him than she did. Because you know not just about God's exodus of His people out of Egypt. You know about the conquest of Canaan. You know about His provision for Israel through the years. You know how He sent His Son and how He lived the perfect life and died as the perfect sacrifice and rose up triumphant and sits in heaven orchestrating all things for the good of His people. And you know how He's coming back to judge all the world and all of its people and how He's going to rescue all of His who trust in Him. You know so much more. What a tragedy if you were to reject that. So don't. Take hold of Him who has revealed Himself to you. Take hold of Him who rescued Rahab. And like Rahab, you will be delivered when destruction rains down upon this world. God incorporates the unexpected, unworthy Rahab into His people as his daughter, just as he does for us when we rest in Christ. May we live in response to that truth all our days. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to you for the mercy that you've shown, for the goodness that you have expressed. Teach us to take hold of you through faith in Christ, just as Rahab did. And Lord, cause us to marvel daily that you loved us so much, that you provided so perfectly that we might fill our lives with gratitude to you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.